They're stopping people from voting. This is the real voter fraud. Is it? We'll find out. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the world, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GTPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee. And yes, five days a week, blanketing the globe on Radio Sputnik. Glad you could join us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Uh, here with my uh, trusty producer, Desi Doyen, <laughs> this afternoon. How are you, Des? Doing okay. All right. I know you, okay. we've got a lot to get to today. Oh, my, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, it's interesting because even when we're not in election season, on this program, you know, we talk about election issues. We talk about concerns. We talk about so many of the things that people, whether they be people in the uh, in the media, the corporate media, are finally beginning to notice, or whether it be voters finally beginning to notice, the things that we talk about all the time, all year round, trying to warn people about, trying to wait until it's too late. Uh, you know, well, they're waiting until it's too late. You know, now all of a sudden they're concerned. Well, anyway, we're going to talk about a lot of... <laughs> A lot of election concerns today and a lot of emails. We got I heard from a lot of folks uh, after yesterday's program. We took a lot of calls on the uh, the Bernie or bust movement. Right. Uh, a lot of people uh, have thoughts on that. A lot of people are not happy with me about uh, what they believe my opinion is on Bernie or bust. Uh, and so we'll we'll talk about uh, all of that as well. Des, uh, we've got another Green News report today yep. with a lot of news, a lot of coal-related news. Coal yeah. in big, big trouble. Yep. I, I, big coal in big trouble. Are you crying over there? Shall <laughs> I, I get you a Kleenex? Are I, uh, you unhappy about that? I am not crying about that, about okay. that at all. No. So there is uh, some, uh, uh, well, bad news for coal. Maybe good news for the rest of us. Some good news for some uh, good news for some bees. Some bad news for sardines. So it's a mixed bag, as usual, in your Green News Report coming yes. up a little bit later. There was an email that I wanted to get to uh, yesterday. Uh, I didn't. I want to get it real quick here. Uh, sent to bradcast at bradblog.com, where I'm always happy to hear from you. Uh, or you can follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. All right, Gordon P. writes in uh, in response to our um, conversation about Tesla a couple of days ago with Steve Levine, the energy expert, and uh, talking about how 
The auto industry better pay attention to what is going on with Tesla and this 325,000 customers who have pre-ordered or at least put down $1,000 to pre-purchase the Tesla Model 3, which doesn't even exist yet. And yet so many people are so excited about this all-electric car that will get more than 200 miles on a single charge for uh, around $30,000, give or take. depending on your state incentives and federal incentives and all that. But yeah, affordable. And and Levine's point uh, was that uh, the auto industry, you know, better pay close attention to what's going on or they're going to be left behind the way Nokia was, which dominated the cell phone market until the iPhone came around and then uh, their value just plummeted overnight. Uh, So we were talking about all of that and about the fact that, in fact, GM... Uh, has the Chevy Bolt coming out later this year. Right. Which is also supposed to get m- more, more than... Uh, 200 per miles per charge. Right. Yeah. 200 miles per charge. Also affordable. And uh, affordable. Uh, and, and, you know, why aren't people lining up around the block for that? Well, we'll see. Maybe they will eventually, but they ain't putting down all of that money in advance. So... With all that said, Gordon P. writes in to say one point that we missed in our discussion, and we did. Uh, He says, the point you seem to miss about the Tesla advantage is that the software for the Tesla comes from the best software designers in Silicon Valley. Much the same advantage that allowed Apple's iPhone to unseat the previously overwhelming Nokia phone. And unlike Detroit, which loves uh, making existing products obsolete by trivial styling changes... Uh, more cup cup holders, anyone? Uh, Tesla has an ongoing program of adding new features and improving the control systems with software improvements. Not just fixing bugs, but adding substantial new features that weren't in the car as shipped, which is kind of cool because people, drivers show up and they find out their their car has uh, has got a new feature. You, you plug in your car, you go to bed, you wake up in the morning, and Tesla has improved your car via Wi-Fi. Gordon P. goes on to say it's the software design and the user interface, like the iPhone, which consumers evidently believe will set the Tesla 3 well apart from anything the mainstream automakers are or will be producing, says Gordon P. So a good An point. excellent point. Yeah, just wanted to get that out uh, off the bat here. Uh, okay. so Well, we won't get into this democracy news just yet. want to hit uh, this because this is getting completely lost. Speaking of things that aren't getting noticed in the mainstream corporate media, uh, a bipartisan group of more than 100 former state attorneys general has asked President Barack Obama to pardon ex-Alabama Governor Don Siegelman, who is nearing the end of a six-year prison sentence for bribery and obstruction of justice, writes AP. I should say... Charges related to uh, bribery and obstruction for justice. Uh, Nobody actually bribed him. He didn't actually make any uh, money. And I'm not going to go into the full backstory. AP covers some of it here. So let me just cover what they say. Former New York Attorney General Bob Abrams said that they believe the uh, uh, the Democrat uh, Governor Don Siegelman, his conviction nearly a decade ago was both unjust and tarnished by politics. The letter from the group, which also supported Siegelman's unsuccessful legal appeals, was delivered to the White House on Wednesday. Although nine years have passed, 
Governor Siegelman's unjust conviction continues to eat away at the integrity of the justice system, the former attorneys general wrote. And again, this is more than 100 former states, uh, state attorneys general, both Republicans and Democrats who are speaking out, who have been speaking out, who have been telling the courts, who have been writing uh, uh, for years these joint letters to the courts as Siegelman's case went through appeals and so on and so forth, saying that what this guy was charged with was never a crime until he was charged with it. That he didn't actually accept any money. The bribery generally means somebody gives you money and you do something, you you pocket the money, you do something in return uh, uh, for that money, but that did not happen here. The letter goes on to say that many legal scholars, as well as the public at large, believe that the prosecution of Governor, uh, of, uh, Governor Siegelman was a perversion of justice. And yes... I uh, share that belief. Yeah, political we, prosecution. We have totally. been covering this story for years here. We've had uh, uh, the governor on the show uh, on a number of occasions uh, before he went to jail. Uh, I, I remember we spoke with him just a couple years ago, just after he went to jail from federal prison, where he continues to serve out this uh, this sentence. Presidential intervention in the form of a pardon or sentence commutation uh, is likely Siegelman's final hope of getting his prison time reduced. Uh, According to AP, the 70-year-old ex-governor is serving six and a half years. Uh, Federal jury in 2006 uh, convicted Siegelman on charges that he sold a seat on a state regulatory board to Health Health South founder Richard Scrushy in exchange for $500,000 in donations to Siegelman's signature political issue, which was a, uh, a campaign to establish a lottery to send poor kids to school, basically. Um, so he didn't personally receive any of that money. No, he didn't, and uh, it, which is what makes this uh, one of the many things that makes this uh, thing unusual and, I would argue, outrageous. Uh, you know, and the fact that uh, the, the prosecutor uh, down there, the U.S. attorney, uh, was married to the uh, campaign chair of his opponent. Uh, the fact that he was actually named the winner in one of his elections down there, the governor was, uh, before woke he went to bed, morning, woke yeah. up the next morning and, oh, oh, what do you know, all the votes had flipped. In one particular county that they checked in the middle of the night, there are all kinds of problems with this case. A lot of people have asked, why has he not been pardoned already? Well, now the formal procedure uh, is moving forward. That is happening amongst, uh, amidst the, uh, the, the current scandal, uh, down, a real scandal, not a manufactured one, down there in Alabama with the uh, current Governor Governor Robert Bentley, who uh, was having an affair with his uh, was political, a top political advisor down there, was uh, spending state money on her. There are now calls for him to resign. Uh, I believe there's a move now in the state uh, legislature to impeach him. That's the current governor who is serving, who doesn't have to go to jail yet. And at the same time, listeners of uh, the Bradcast and readers of Brad Blog will remember U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller, the judge who presided over Siegelman's trial, the judge that sent Siegelman away instead of letting him uh, out on appeal while, you know, while he appealed the case. 
uh, out on bail while he appealed the case, sent him, shackled him, handcuffed him, sent him to jail immediately after sentencing. That was U.S. District Judge Mark Fuller. If that name sounds familiar to you, Mark Fuller is the judge who was arrested in Atlanta for beating the crap out of his wife in a uh, in a hotel room. Uh, that uh, we had to uh, play the 9/11 call, the 911 call on this uh, on on this program because he was refusing to step down after this uh, incident. He finally did resign. He was run out, uh, Mark Fuller. Uh, you know, after these battery charges. But um, so everyone involved in this case. Uh, is clearly up to no good. The one guy who doesn't appear to have been up to no good is Governor Siegelman, who is still in jail. Uh, Anyway, outrageous, but maybe we will see President Obama may finally do the right thing here. That would be nice. He has issued fewer pardons than I think any other president in, in modern times, perhaps even ever, I don't know. Uh, it would be nice if he did the right thing here. So uh, our best to Governor Siegelman and his family. I believe his daughter recently got married. Uh, congratulations for that. It's uh, terrible that her father didn't get to be there. Anyway, I'll I'll stow my outrage, my <laughs> anger. We got a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, here's some good news. Some good news here. Yay. Zach Roth uh, from NBC, uh, MSNBC, who who covers the. Uh, uh, voter suppression beat uh, announced just an hour or two ago that Vermont now is likely to become the fourth state to enact automatic voter registration. Yeah, passed the legislature uh, in, in a nearly unanimous vote. That's good. Some people have more access to voting rights if this moves forward uh, because of uh, this system, automatic voter registration, which frankly should be everywhere. You become 18, boom, you should be registered to vote. End of story. You know, and the reason we have these uh, voter registration uh, laws in the first place is not to help people vote, is to keep them from voting, to be frank. It's a legacy of of not just the Jim Crow days, but going you know back even further to the founding of this country. Uh, you know, when we wanted to make sure that it was only uh, white people, only white men, for that matter, uh, landowners, etc. And so we need to just update the entire voter registration system because what we have seen so far this year underscores that again. Uh, the, these lines that we've seen in Arizona, in Wisconsin, in North Carolina, in Florida, in Missouri, in Illinois, it's just, it's shameful. Now, it's nice to see, however, that the corporate media is finally becoming interested in these things that we warn about so frequently all year round, even when it is not a a presidential election year when it comes to elections. But it would be nice if they showed more concern about these things before before they actually come to pass, before people lose their vote, before people get screwed. Before the Supreme Court, as it has, uh, you know, took away, gutted the Voting Rights Act. But beggars can't be choosers, I guess. If they're going to start noticing it and talking about it even a little, I'll take it. Over the weekend, Bill Maher's Real Time on HBO uh, discussed the hours-long lines to vote in Arizona and Wisconsin and elsewhere so far this year. Let me bring up another issue this week. Uh, Wisconsin, long voting lines. 
I think that long lines are the new poll tax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing. We, we saw it in the Arizona primary a couple of weeks earlier. Maricopa County, yeah. the secretary was mentioning Sarah Joe Arpaio. They cut the number of voting booths by 70 percent. Um, Republicans cheat, sorry Andy, but they can't get the votes anymore, so what they do is cheat. And this is cheating. Yeah. You, you can't get people to vote for you, so you purge. I mean, they made a big thing about Chris Christie, remember with the closing the bridge and the traffic jam? Yeah. This is a much more important traffic oh, yeah. jam <laughs> that the media should be focusing and on. This is a Republican-organized, purposeful traffic jam. If you look at a map of the country, if you look at a map of what states have strict voter ID laws, it's all the Jim Crow states. With a few exceptions, it is Jim Crow. And it's important. Black lives matter, but so do black votes. Right. And that's why they're trying to roll them back. Yeah. Yes, I mean, for folks who don't remember, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act yep. in 2010. And they said, well, we don't need the Voting Rights Act anymore because racism is over. It's an urban myth. <laughs> uh, and it really, and, and, and I wish they would just admit that they were wrong about that because the second they did that, yeah. states did this kind of shit. And, and, and they're stopping people from voting. This is the real voter fraud. Yes, that is the real voter fraud. He's got a good point there. One correction for Bill Maher was actually 2013 that the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. It was 2010 that they gutted, uh, well, I guess that they gutted democracy with uh, Citizens United and ah, unlimited yes. amounts of, of money. I'm going to get to that in a moment as well. Uh, but just to, uh, uh, to put a... a, a a period or a comma or an ellipse on uh, the story right now in Arizona. We, there are now at least two lawsuits uh, either being filed or filed in regard uh, to what happened in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, a couple of weeks ago at their election uh, when they had cut the polling places down from, uh, what was it, from uh, 211 back in 2012 to just 60 this year. Uh, you know, a, a ridiculous reduction in the polling places. And what do you know? They led to hours long lines, two, three, four, five hours in some places. And of course, the the, the places that they got rid of the polling places were the places where, you know, minority uh, areas and so forth in Phoenix, in Arizona with a heavily Hispanic population. And that would have been, had we had the uh, the full Voting Rights Act intact, this is the first time in 50 years that we, uh, first presidential election in 50 years that we haven't had the full Voting Rights Act intact, uh, had that been intact, the federal government would have reviewed those changes, would have not allowed them most likely to uh, to cut the polling places as they did, to place them where they did in wealthy areas, not in poor areas and so on and so forth. So now there are at least two lawsuits, one from a local transpartisan election integrity group by the name of Audit AZ that was filed a few days ago. We haven't gone into those details uh, on this program, so I want to mention that. Maybe we'll talk more about it next week. And then another one reportedly to be filed on Friday. This one supported by the DNC and now both the Hillary Clinton and Bernie, Sander, uh, Bernie Sanders campaigns. There is also a DOJ investigation that is now going on into what happened in Arizona. So a DOJ investigation, a couple of lawsuits, people taking action. That's good. The fact that it happens after people get disenfranchised, that's not so good. 
Speaking of Citizens United, this is just amazing. Uh, our, our, our friend uh, Marcy Wheeler, Empty Wheel, tweeted this out, um, I think it was last night. Uh, she said, uh, why run for president when the monthly Coke tip as Speaker of the U.S. House is higher than the annual salary as president of the United States. And she was talking about Paul Ryan. Why should he run for president when he can make so much money as Speaker of the House? She was retweeting uh, uh, reporter Jake Sherman uh, from Politico, who found, uh, and this story is amazing, uh, Sherman's tweet was uh, that uh, Speaker Paul Ryan got 488000 from Charles Koch and his wife in the month of March alone. Wait, What? $488,000. In the month Se- of March alone? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it gets worse. $71,000 from uh, from the, uh, the Koch's political action committee. Um, so here's the here's the actual story, or, or at least a few pieces of it, from Jake Sherman over at Politico. Paul Ryan's massive $17 million fundraising haul this quarter, $17 million, was fueled by some of the nation's richest people and large uh, and large corporate political action committees, which cut five- and six-figure checks to the Speaker's burgeoning political operation. This is according to an election filing made public this week on Wednesday. More than $9 million of Ryan's take in the first quarter of 2016 was from donors and PACs who cut checks larger than $50,000, according to a Politico analysis. For example, billionaire industrialist Charles Koch, chairman and CEO of Koch Industries, and his wife Elizabeth gave Ryan a total of $488,000 in March alone. Koch Industries, uh, their political action committee, chipped in $71,000. The Kochs were not alone. Uh, They were not the only couple whose donation to Ryan neared a half a million dollars. Former Bain Capital Managing Director Paul Edgerly and his wife Sandra, billionaire Charles B. Johnson and his wife, Houston, Texas owner Robert McNair and his wife Janice all gave $488,400 to Ryan. Now, that, that, that's the limit, I, I guess. And, and apparently there's a limit. I guess there's a limit per quarter. Who knew? Texas developer Harlan Crow, private equity executive uh, Thomas McInerney, is a home, uh, home building tycoon Dwight uh, Scar and New York Stock Exchange chairman Jeffrey Sprecher gave Ryan $244,000 and $200 each. So these are the enormous sums that he, Paul Ryan, is able to raise, at least uh, for his team, uh, his team effort. His, his, these are donations to Ryan for Congress and to the National Republican Congressional Committee and Prosperity Action, which is Ryan's leadership uh, political action committee. Huge sums. He raised, Ryan raised more than $9 million from donors who cut checks larger than $50,000 a piece. The largest uh, donation was from Coke, followed by AT&T, which gave $65,000. Now, it's great news that Bernie Sanders is receiving uh, all of these uh, donations. He's receiving millions and millions of dollars himself, but he's receiving them, by and large, in these small donations. $27. Now, th- what, isn't that what he says is yes. the average? I don't know if that's still the average. $27. Now, if you gave $27 to Bernie uh, Sanders, that's fantastic. But I suspect you're not going to get any favors in return, any personal favors in return for those $27,000. Uh, I'm sorry, for those $27. <laughs>
If it was $27,000, yeah, that's one thing. And that's the thing. These guys, what do you think AT&T, they give $65,000. Now, if legislation comes up that is going to help or hurt AT&T, do you think Paul Ryan is going to uh, go against these people who gave $65,000? The Coke, the Coke interests, Charles, uh, Charles and David Coke, uh, giving $488,400 in the month of March alone, when we talk about, as we do on this show constantly, with uh, Green News Report and so forth, environmental issues, concerns about fossil fuels, Coke Industries is the is it the largest or second largest? One of the largest or second largest private uh, company in this country. I believe it's the largest privately owned uh, fossil fuel company in the world. And that if you combine the riches of the uh, uh, the brothers Coke. Charles and David, that they would be together, I think, the world's wealthiest person. Right. That's true. So this kind of money, this kind of obscene money from these people, when they want something, they're going to get it. None of this, of course, is is anything much new at this point. It just continues to be obscene. It continues to be not talked about enough. And it continues uh, to fuel those uh, who say, you know what? The whole system is rigged. The whole system is rigged from top to bottom. Why should I bother voting when, you know, the Cokes are going to get anything they want? I have to, you know, beg and, 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 and plead and, and give a $27 donation and wait in a five-hour li- uh, five line to participate in, in uh, the democracy. And you know what? Eh, they kind of got a good point. They kind of got a good point. And um, it it's hard to dispute that. And I understand. And I do understand the frustration. And so people say, why bother? Why bother voting? Why bother participating at all? Well, they got a good point. On the other hand, if the option is to do absolutely nothing, is to stay home, is to let these bad guys get away with it, you know, to let more, frankly, to let more Republicans get in so that they can uh, stack the court in their favor, so they can gut the Voting Rights Act even further, so they can uh, make sure that we never get money out of politics, so that they can continue to allow these right wing corporations to own our public airwaves, so that they ignore uh, protests, as we've seen over the past week, record number of arrests at the U.S. Capitol that most people have no idea even happened as part of uh, the democracy spring protests that have been going on all week and have been ignored all week by the corporate media. Those democracy spring uh, protests demanding exactly action on this to get money out of politics to reform our electoral system. They at least are taking action. They're going to jail for it. I don't know. We brought up on the show yesterday how, how effective those type of, uh, of protests actually are, particularly when the right-wing media is not going there. The right-wing, the corporate media, period, which is by its nature right-wing. If they're not going to cover it, well, how effective is that action? I don't know. But they are taking action. They are not giving up. We are taking action. We are not going to give up. We are going to fight for those things that are right and to access to the polls and to have your votes counted and counted accurately. 
We are going to fight uh, to throw out these uh, these these bums uh, who will do nothing about our electoral system, who raise millions and millions of dollars from these huge corporations and from these rich people. And yes, even though uh, Bill Maher was talking about Republicans and I just mentioned uh, Paul Ryan there. No, it is not only Republicans. Yes, Hillary Clinton is taking hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars from many of these same rich people and uh, and same corporations. And it continues. Continues to be obscene. So we can either do uh, something about it or we can do nothing about it. We'll talk about some of those things that we hopefully can do about it uh, with some of your uh, mail in response to the uh, Bernie or bust conversation that we had yesterday. Uh, that and much more ahead. Oh, and some questions that I didn't get to answer about Wyoming and the, the caucuses up there amongst the charges that everything is rigged. No, I don't believe that everything is rigged. We're going to talk about that and more on the broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. What is wrong? And the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. There are thousands of us here. This is my democracy. You won't go telling me my vote don't matter anymore. No, you won't. And it's not worth fighting for. You can try, but I won't listen to you. Uh, we will continue fighting for your democracy. Hope you will join us. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That was our friend uh, Victoria Parks, by the way, song she wrote back in the 2004 election uh, after uh, Ohio, after voter, voters got screwed in Ohio, and I should say the rest of the country along with it. Uh, for because of the same problems that uh, voters are facing today. Uh, long lines, uh, voting machines that they can't oversee. Victoria Parks, uh, in addition to writing that great song and, and a lot of other great songs, uh, is also working, uh, starting, starting up a new radio station in Ohio that I believe the broadcast will be on or already is. Oh, so, gosh, that's uh, yes. awesome. Hello, uh, people of Ohio. I think I want to say Cleveland, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, WGRN FM 94.1. We'll, we'll make it a fit. When we know that we're officially uh, up and rolling with our, our new affiliate, we'll, we will give them a shout out. Yeah, and I just also want to make a shout yeah. out to Victoria Parks, who writes some very hilarious songs as well. Yes, she Great does. Artist. Yes, Great she artist. Great artist. I agree. Uh, we spent time on yesterday's program discussing what actually happened in, in Wyoming over the weekend at the Wyoming Democratic Caucuses. Uh, 
and there was a lot of concern uh, from Bernie Sanders supporters that they got screwed by these uh, by these surrogate ballots, these vote by mail ballots uh, th- that people who couldn't make it to the caucuses were allowed to send in if they couldn't make it to the caucuses for a number of various reasons. And I spoke with uh, Amy Van Cleve, the executive director of the Wyoming Democrats, to try to get some clarity on what actually happened there, what the rules are, what the requirements were for those surrogate ballots, the surrogate votes, the surrogate forms. They're not really ballots. I don't know what to call them. Uh, And we got some clarity, some response. And I'll I'll just refer you back because we went into great detail uh, with her. I'll refer you back to uh, to yesterday's program. You can check it out at bradblog.com or over on iTunes. But there was one question that came in from a caller that we weren't able to get to that I wanted to clarify. Because uh, even though uh, Bernie got, uh, I believe it was about 12% more votes than Hillary Clinton, they both ended up with the same amount of pledged delegates. There was 14 available. They each ended up with seven, seven, seven apiece. They essentially tied even though... The numbers that we have overall, including those surrogate uh, uh, vote by mail type ballots, uh, even though Bernie uh, beat Hillary by some 12 percent. So if he beat her by 12 percent and if they are generally apportioning these delegates, uh, you know, on a proportional basis, why did they both end up with uh, with seven delegates apiece? Well, the answer is essentially Uh, And it gets very complicated, so I'm going to try to be simplistic about it. But essentially, with these caucuses, uh, the the rules are different from state to state. But essentially, uh, it's not based on popular vote. It's not based on who got the most vote. It's a caucus by caucus thing. So the uh, you know if if she ended up winning this this many votes at this particular caucus, he won that many votes at that particular caucus. There's I think uh, two delegates for each uh, for each caucus, each district, each caucusing district. That's how they break them down like that. It's not based on the popular vote. And uh, caller uh, Jim, I think it was, had asked uh, why did she end up getting the same number of delegates as Bernie did when he got more of the popular vote? And that's the that's the brief answer. Have I made it clear or have yeah. I just made it worse? If this? I understand correctly, <laughs> you're saying that they don't uh, distribute delegates based on the popular yeah, total vote. They do it based on uh, the different district caucus. by district. So you, and, had, right. you, win, you win the whole caucus, then right. you get that. So. Right. Uh, and it's even and it's even more complicated than that. But that is the way these caucuses run. Now, I've heard a lot of people say in the wake of what happened in Wyoming and in the wake of what happened in uh, in Colorado over the weekend at the Republican state conventions in uh, Colorado, they don't have caucuses at all. They don't have primaries at all, at least not this year. The delegate convention is con- their primary. That's right. That's right. That's how they uh, give out their delegates is via the convention. And Ted Cruz just smoked Donald Trump, just outplayed him there, was able to get all of the delegates, 34 of out of 34 of the delegates went to Ted Cruz. And this led to Donald Trump yelling and screaming that the system is rigged and his supporters screaming that the system is rigged, that it's rigged against them, that uh, the Republican Party is stealing this from Donald Trump the way we have heard from Bernie Sanders supporters that the DNC and or Hillary Clinton has rigged the system in order to steal it from Bernie Sanders. 
And all of this has led to discussion that, uh, you know, from folks, as I mentioned before the break, people uh, asking, well, what's the point of being concerned about things like access to the polls and these long lines and electronic voting systems and Internet voting systems and voter suppression? What's the point if our votes don't even count? Now, let me say I have seen no actual evidence, evidence that either party at this time is actually rigging the process, per se, for any of their candidates, at least rigging the, you know, stealing it uh, from uh, Ted Cruz or stealing it from uh, Bernie Sanders. So that's the way I regard uh, the idea of, of, of rigging, uh, you know, of stealing votes, messing with the voting machines, messing with the, uh, the, the voting rolls in order to keep out one segment uh, over another. Now, yes, the Republican Party is, in fact, trying to keep out Democrats by their photo ID laws and, and so forth. And but, purging from the voter and rolls. Per, well, potential purge. we got to see. Uh, we're still trying to learn, for example, what happened in Arizona, why all of these voters who were registered, thought they were registered as uh, Democrats, turned up to either not be registered at all or registered as uh, independent and so forth. So we have to learn that. But... Uh, and hopefully the DOJ investigation will find that out. But that's what I think of when I think of stealing an election, when I think of rigging, a, you know, an election for a specific candidate or taking it away from a specific candidate. I have not seen that so far in this process, at least not, uh, you know, nothing in a huge sense. Uh, what I have seen is a process that is not particularly fair from the beginning. The primary process is not like a regular election. But it, this is what it has, you know, this process, the primary process on both the Republican and the Democratic side. We've talked about, you know, the, the superdelegates uh, and, and how ridiculous that is. At least it's ridiculous for the media to be reporting those as actual pledged delegates. They are not. They have not cast their their vote. They won't. These these uh, party insiders uh, and elected officials, they will not vote at all the, as delegates until the convention itself. So if Bernie Sanders can get more delegates than Hillary Clinton before the uh, the convention in July in Philadelphia, the Democratic convention, I would think those superdelegates would be hard pressed to vote for Bernie Sanders. I'm sorry, would be hard pressed to vote for Hillary Clinton instead of Bernie Sanders. We saw something similar like that in 2008. You had a whole bunch of superdelegates who had uh, told the media, yeah, I endorsed uh, Hillary Clinton. I'm going to vote for her. And then Barack Obama ended up getting more delegates uh, as the contests went on. And those uh, superdelegates ended up voting at the convention for Barack Obama. So I've seen a process uh, that, you know, you can describe as not particularly fair, but it has been that way from the beginning. They didn't change these rules to suddenly screw over uh, Bernie Sanders or to screw over Donald Trump. Now, the Republicans might change the rules to do exactly that at the uh, at the convention. But guess what? The ability to change the rules is in the rules. That's the way that the Republican Party has set up their selection process. So I'm seeing a lot of people who are suddenly realizing that the process for selecting candidates to be party nominees is not the same as an actual election. And it isn't. This is not an election. This is a selection. This is a selection process by these private parties. 
So when you see the the caucuses in particular, when you know as they're run up in Wyoming and and the other states, those are run by the parties. They are not run by the state. They are not run by election officials, by you know elected officials, uh, county clerks, and so forth. They are run by the party themselves, and the parties can do whatever they like. And you may or may not like what they do. There's a lot of good reasons to not like what these parties do. But they're allowed to do it because they're selecting their candidate. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, a selection, not an election when it comes to choosing who will actually participate in the election this fall. And I guess I should not be surprised. I follow this stuff, uh, you know, for years very closely. Uh, so I guess I should not. But, but So it makes sense to me. Um, but I continue to be surprised when when people are surprised at the process. And I forget that, yeah, a lot of new voters, a lot of young voters, you know, taking uh, new to the process, new to the process or suddenly interested in it for the first time because they've got an exciting, uh, progressive, a real progressive candidate like Bernie Sanders. Um, but I want to also note that, you know, believe it or not, the system that we have right now is far, far more democratic, small d democratic than it has been in the past. This whole process didn't used to allow voters at all. We didn't have these primaries. Uh, this was done in, you know, smoke filled uh, back rooms and, and conventions like the one you saw in Colorado, where it was just party activists, where the, the people did not get to participate in the process at all. So it's not a good system. Uh, it's not the best system, uh, but it is actually a more democratic system than we have had in the past when it comes to selecting candidates to be the nominees to run in the actual elections this November. And an important thing to remember is the primary process, the caucus process, everything that we have seen in this process in the run up to the nominating conventions has been our early warning system of what we might expect yes. happening at the general election yes. when your actual vote actually does count. So maybe we'll be able to change things between now and November to some extent. Uh, I know we're going to be talking uh, hopefully next week with uh, Ernie Canning because there has been a, a number of very interesting developments in the uh, fight against photo ID voting restrictions, both in Wisconsin and Texas. So I know we'll we'll, we'll be talking about that uh, uh, next week. But, uh, you know, I just I, I need people to understand that. Uh, you know, if you don't like the way the system is right now, the way these private parties select their candidates, the candidates that you will have the option to vote for or against or not at all this November, then change it. Change that system. Start up your own party. And I'm not kidding. Or participate in one of the existing uh, so-called third parties. But you know what? The Green Party? A lot of people interested in voting for uh, Jill Stein, who's likely to be the nominee for uh, for the Green Party. Okay. But they have an arguably even less democratic system of choosing their nominee, as I understand it. Did you get to vote? Will you get to vote this year uh, for the Green Party nominee? So uh, it, as long as I'm getting into trouble here, uh, I want to follow up uh, with a conversation, as I mentioned yesterday, that we, we had uh, when folks were calling in to discuss Bernie or bust. The idea that if Bernie Sanders does not win, they will not vote at all. The nomination. What did I say? You said if he doesn't win, right? If I'm he just doesn't win, correct. The Democratic yeah. Party nomination. That's right. If he doesn't win at all, uh, these people may not vote at all. They're going to maybe stay home. 
Now, I know a lot of people have very strong opinions on this and I because I've been getting a lot of emails on it. Some I agree with, some I don't. Uh, most of them are smart either way. Let me let me just do I have time? Yeah, let me let me do a couple of them here. Um, this is from Enrique G. Uh, let's see, uh, uh, forcing force re forcing Bernie supporters to commit to Hillary Clinton. I know. I, I didn't I realize I had yeah, done I don't that. think you said Hello, that. Mr. Friedman. Your dogged efforts to highlight problems exhibited with the electoral system in various states of the union have been inspiring and uplifting to hear. Uh, to hear that there is somebody who thinks the right to vote is a right to be defended and to expose those who insist on curtailing the right of U.S. citizens. You have won my admiration with your stance on this. Thank you. End of letter. No, it's not the end of the letter. <laughs> you knew there was a... But, I knew that was coming. But, alas, it seems that you have now adopted the vicious pitbull assault technique of Thong Hardman. I think she's trying to say, uh, or he, Enrique, is trying to say uh, Tom Hartman. Oh. Yeah, using a, 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 a discouraging name. Uh, I see. It. Thong, she says, or he says, tries to force voters with the firm conviction that the next election requires that their candidate be somebody who has stood for major reforms, such as Senator Bernie Sanders, but if not selected to represent the Democratic Party, that those voters instead commit to vote for Hillary Clinton. What a shame that you have joined in the Thong chorus, Enrique says. You are the last person I would have expected that from. Your committed defense of the right to the uh, franchise or vote is brilliant in its depth and uh, uh, in its depth of this specific constitutional right. Once you have delivered that message, it is totally out of your league to insist that they vote as you would have them vote. If you insist for those voters to tell you whom they will vote for, then why don't you tell us whom you will vote for, Mr. Friedman? Well, OK, <laughs> Two, a couple of points. One. Uh, I have not insisted that anyone commit to vote to Hillary Clinton. We had some callers yesterday who said they would not vote for her at all if Bernie Sanders did not win. And I said, OK, fine. Uh, would you prefer to see uh, Donald Trump or Ted Cruz as the next president of the United States? Now, that is not telling them that they must vote for Hillary Clinton. Actually, Enrique calls her Hilarity Clinton. OK. Uh, but that is uh you know, if you stay home, that is uh, you are making that likelihood uh, more, more likely, more possible. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now I support people's right to not vote all the time. I am against a mandatory uh, voting provision that requires everyone to vote unless it includes a none of the above option. And if it includes that and none of the above wins, then we have a whole new election. Maybe don't allow those people to run it all again. Uh, but I, I have not insisted anybody vote for anybody. But I do talk about what happens when people vote or don't vote, uh, when they vote for this person or for that person. Uh, and people want to vote for a third party, for example, for the Green Party, for Jill Stein, uh, who looks like she's likely going to be the nominee. All for it. I will support your right to vote for Jill Stein. I will support your right, by the way, to vote for Donald Trump. But I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being real about what it is. If we see a groundswell for uh, Jill Stein, great. If we see a groundswell for Bernie Sanders as an independent candidate, then that's great, too. And I'm not going to tell people, oh, don't do it because this is, you know, the old, uh, oh, if you vote for Ralph Nader, you're going to put George W. Bush in. No, vote for whoever you want. I'm cool with that. 
But when people give reasons uh, like uh, I'm not going to vote for her because she's not trustworthy, then I guess the presumption is that uh, the Republican might be more trustworthy. Okay, if that's what it is, then tell me that's what it is. You trust Donald Trump or Ted Cruz more than you trust her. That's fine. I just, you know, I, I just want people to be honest about what happens and what doesn't. And I support their right to vote for whoever they want. And uh, yeah, you well, know, my, I, my grandmother used to say, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. And I think that in a way that this is the, the strategy that that I would I, say is like, what is your goal? I, well, you know, I, what are you trying to achieve here? And, and that's fine. If you want to tell Hillary, I hate you, I'm not going to vote for you. That's <laughs> fine. If your goal then is to not care who then does get elected. Well, and, and, so. and I don't know that they actually feel they don't care. A lot of people, I got some other mail saying that they are going to vote for Jill Stein, that she thinks she'd be a, See, a, a fine president as a green. And, uh, and and great. Now, a lot of these people might be coming from, you know, California, which is going to go most likely to the Democratic candidate anyway. So they have that luxury. Other states don't even have, uh, you know, won't have third parties necessarily on the ballots. True. Uh, I encourage people, if you want, if you don't like the people there, uh, write in, write in whoever you want. Write in Brad Friedman for president. <laughs> I'm cool with that. But when you stay home and when you say that voting makes no difference, when you say that, oh, it just encourages them, oh, I'm going to stay home uh so that because that will show them will boycott this election. Man, I hear that over and over again. Guess what? Uh, Americans already boycott elections. They already don't turn out in droves. And the elected officials don't give a damn. It works great for uh, for most of them. They're fine with that. So, let, you know, let, let's just be honest about it. And as far as uh, I, I don't so I don't know where Enrique G got the idea that I was uh, requiring people to vote for hilarity uh, or that I was insisting that they uh, uh, tell me whom they will vote for. Yes, the vote is secret and private, as Enrique goes on to say. So I will not insist on knowing whom uh, you will vote for uh, Brad in the uh, November 2016 election, but I sure hope you will make use of your vote in a reasoned manner. That is all that I expect or that you should expect from the voters. Enrique says, I, I hope you correct in the upcoming programs your misstatements on your past programs where you demanded just as Thong demands. And by the way, I haven't heard Tom Hartman demand this either of anybody that uh, if you are not willing to vote for hilarity, then you are willing to get Mr. Trample or Mr. Crux as your president. <laughs> Cogitate on this subject and use better judgment next time. Thank you, Enrique G. We will continue to call it out as it is, as I see it, and I will continue to uh, share your opinions when you disagree with me. You can always uh, reach me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. We got to take a break, come back with Green News Report uh, and maybe another item or two. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Now, is is that for the Green Party or for the Green News Report, Jesse Doyen? <laughs> Excellent question. We used to play that as our bumper music for the Green News Report, but in this case, uh, it's actually, we're going to get to Green News Report in a moment, but uh, just one quick point. Uh, I had hoped to read more of this letter, but Sarah E. Uh, also uh, wrote to Bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, to say, uh, she says, I'm not Bernie or Bust, I'm Bernie or Jill Stein. 
talking about the Green Party, uh, likely nominee for the Green Party uh, presidential uh, candidate. Uh, And uh, let's see, I don't have time for the whole thing, so let me just read this. uh, Well, this part first. Hey, Brad, love your show. See, I like it already. Then uh, later, it's not all about national elections. You made the point plenty of times that local elections really matter. Matter. I'd like to add that local elections are where independent parties can build. Even if one thinks President Jill Stein is a pipe dream, Greens and other third-party candidates winning local and state elections is not. By the way, I don't think President Jill Stein is impossible. She writes grassroots support. Uh, grassroots support for put Bernie where he is. The media was writing him off as a pipe dream, too. Now the people have discovered their power and beat the corporate media narrative. I don't know. I don't know that they've beat it yet, but uh, why would uh, they give it up again if Bernie loses the nomination? I have other choices besides the corporate parties or staying home, says Sarah. She says, I know that you, Tom Hartman, Amy Goodman and other independent outlets actually do acknowledge the existence of third party candidates. And I am very grateful for that. Uh, And yes, we do. And I am very grateful for your uh, for your letter, Sarah E. And for all of the other folks who are ringing in to comment on this and so much more. All right, Desi Doyen, I know we're running late. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Peabody Energy, which is a coal company, effectively announced that it's filing for Chapter 11. World's largest coal company declares bankruptcy. But I think we need to recognize that in running a power system that does this 24 by 7 all of the time, you need 24 by 7 power. Utility CEO foresees an end to coal entirely. Government Accountability Office dings the EPA. Sardine fishing banned off the West Coast. Again. Plus, pesticide company ends use of bee-killing pesticides. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So why do you think climate change isn't being taken seriously in this election? Great question, Larry. We'll answer it right after this commercial message from ExxonMobil. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a lot of stories today that don't seem to be very good news for the coal industry. Nope, not at all. Peabody Energy, the world's largest privately owned coal company, filed for bankruptcy protection in a Missouri courtroom on Wednesday. It's the latest in a string of big coal bankruptcies as the use of coal declines around the world thanks to the rise of cheaper natural gas and renewable energy. You're welcome. Yet, while dropping coal is crucial to fighting climate change, Bob Kincaid of Coal River Mountain Watch in an interview with the broadcast warns that coal companies like Peabody use bankruptcy protection to legally shed important obligations. Now the bankruptcy laws are being used to allow these coal companies to streamline their operations. They, they allow the companies to get rid of their pension obligations, to get rid of their health care obligations. They're going to come back. They'll come out of bankruptcy with all of those liabilities erased from their ledger, and they will be lean and mean and ready to go forward into a toxic future. But the CEO of Duke Energy, a major U.S. electric utility, foresees an eventual end to the use of coal for electricity in the United States. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, CEO Lynn Good says Duke Energy is not only converting its coal plants to cleaner but still polluting natural gas, but is also investing in advanced batteries and capturing carbon emissions. I believe in order for us to meet the broader aspiration around climate, uh, carbon capture is going to be important. And I would also argue that nuclear is important. 
Uh, of course, there'll be technological breakthroughs. I think battery storage is something that we all uh, have some hope in, and there's certainly there's investment trying to put battery technology to work with renewables and other parts of our system. Meanwhile, the Federal Government Accountability Office has found serious fault with the Environmental Protection Agency's oversight of the oil and gas industry. A new GAO report concludes that EPA is not doing enough to protect underground sources of drinking water from toxic wastewater contamination generated by the oil and gas industry, like from fracking and the use of wastewater injection wells. The report also finds the EPA is not adequately monitoring state regulators that are in charge of inspecting and enforcing regulations. So the Republicans are right. The EPA needs to be shut down because they're a failure. I don't think that's the type of failure that they mean. Oh, okay. In the Pacific Northwest, fisheries managers have banned sardine fishing for the second year in a row. Once the most abundant fish species off the West Coast, the sardine population has collapsed 90% in less than 10 years, mostly due to record warm ocean temperatures and and overfishing. Shellfish harvesting is also banned off the Pacific coast as record warm temperatures have caused a deadly toxic algae bloom that renders shellfish poisonous. The heat is on in Greenland, where a record warm and wet winter has pushed Greenland's ice sheet to set an ominous new record, the earliest ever start to the melt season by a long shot. The early kickoff to the melt season was so early that researchers said they had to check their instruments and models to make sure they were working properly. Oh, brother. Also, a new study suggests that recent melting of the ice sheets of Antarctica and Greenland appears to be having a subtle but measurable effect on the rotation of the Earth itself and changing the location of the North Pole ever so slightly. Ice has mass, and when mass gets redistributed, like at the poles, it can exert a very subtle force on the spin of the axis of the Earth. Finally, some good news. As we reported earlier this week, the Maryland legislature passed a ban on a class of pesticides linked to the alarming decline of bees and banned them for residential consumer use. Just days later, Ortho, a leading brand of home and garden pest control products known as miracle Grow, announced that it will stop using that class of pesticides called neonicotinoids in all of their residential consumer products. So this garden company who makes plant food to make plants grow is actually using a, a chemical that kills bees? In their pesticides that they make, yes. So is the company's decision to ban this bee-killing pesticide directly related to the state of Maryland's statute that does away with this uh, bee-killing chemical? Ortho said no. They said that they were also concerned with bees, and so this just helped them along. I see. For more on that story and all of the others that we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Desi Doyan, our producer Desi Doyan, to our booking goddess, uh, Cynthia Cohn, and of course to you, the listener, uh, for spending a portion of your day or night with us in our next thrilling episode. Yes, it's another debate, Bernie versus Hillary in uh, in Brooklyn. We will be covering that on our next thrilling broadcast. Hope you can join us for it. Until then, drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Twitters and the Facebooks, I am the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,